Hi everyone, welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is July 17th, 2018. Today we're going to talk about the Integrated Resorts Gambling Bill. It's in the upper house right now. There are five days left before it's passed into law or shelved off to the side. But before we do that, make sure you hit like, subscribe, or share, and make sure you tell your friends about this if you enjoy what we're doing. Michael, the Integrated Resort Bill, five more days left in this extended diet session. You think it'll go? Oh, well, it's the whole reason why the diet session was extended in the first 32 place. 32 days to do this, and then it rained. And then it rained. It rained on their parade, and it rained, on, and we have to acknowledge that many people lost their lives. 200 people at this night. Uh, to, to at least 200 people lost their lives. Many are still missing. Uh, a, uh, a catastrophic event mm -hmm. uh, that normally would be galvanizing the diet to act in a certain way, but it, it has a full docket already. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mr. Abe, in fact, took a long time to change gears uh, in order to deal with the tragedy. He was so taken up with his regular business of international diplomacy, he, he only regretfully canceled a trip overseas in order to handle In time. In time. It, it, it's not going to affect his ratings in any way. It's not going to affect his image in any way. But he was so taken with his schedule, this extra session, because he, he can't extend the session anymore to get all the things done. That's right. There are five days left. They're going to either vote it up or down in the upper house on Saturday. And they're going to be trying to make the deadline as best they can because they only don't have a choice. They've already done the extension. Now, the, the bill is relatively straightforward. It's a follow-up to the legalization mm -hmm. of casino gambling. Until last year when the casino, first casino bill first passed, gambling was ostensibly illegal. Right. Now, this was a, a situation that was peculiar because you could bet on the horses, you could bet on boat racing, you could bet on um, even motorcycles. Yeah, and, and then, of course, the pachinko, uh, which all of these are, were accommodated so as to be games of chance, games of fun, mm -hmm. or contributions in the case of, of, let's say, horse racing, a contribution to agriculture. Mm -hmm. uh, ha taking in casinos, which means having foreign investors for the first time, uh, having foreign companies come and build resorts, IR resorts, these integrated resorts, uh, mean, meant that the law had to be changed. And what was peculiar about this law and why the opposition has had a problem with it from the very beginning is that it's not a government law. It's not a, it's not a, not a government bill, not a cabinet bill. No. Almost all bills that get passed are put through the cabinet, but this one was from Mr. Abe's, this, the leader of it, the person who was sponsoring it was Mr. Abe's faction leader, Hosada. And it was simply, it has held up two diet sessions to deal with just this legislator's bill. Mm -hmm. And that has no history in Japanese legislative history. You, they've held up diet sessions for cabinet laws, for cabinet sponsored bills. Right. But for an, an individual legislator, Mm -hmm. It's never happened. Well, that's why it's so interesting and probably why it's so con contentious. Because in, in a lot of other countries, bills come up naturally through the process. Companies are trying to, to do something new with the economy. They come up with different ideas, new marketing plans, and they push that up. It doesn't come through the administration. Yeah, and that's normally the case in many countries. You have legislators proposing bills. And you do legally have that right mm -hmm. as, a, as a legislator. But very few legislators take it up. And those who do find that their bills are put at the end of the queue. Mm -hmm. Here, this particular bill 
possibly because of the ability of, the ca of casino gambling to eventually generate political donations to various political parties. Let's face it, it's going to be the LDP and maybe some to Nippon uh, no Ishin because there's a good chance that one of the resorts will be in Osaka. Uh, that these two conservative parties will get donations, but mostly because of the simply Mr. Abe has to answer to his faction. Right. And that just rubbed the opposition the wrong way, and they've made it a very difficult process. Right. And then events got in the way of Mr. Abe's own corruption scandals, right. which are involve him indirectly, such as the, the Moritobo Gakuen or, or the Kake Gakuen scandals. Uh, and now we have th the national response, which has been very good, uh, to the massive rains that took place in Ehime, and primarily Ehime, Okayama, and uh, Hiroshima prefectures, Hiroshima being the hardest hit. Right. Uh, that the entire system is hostage to this legislator's bill and all of the ancillary bills that are attached to it, it's been, it's been a, a very strange walk that we've been taking. Specifically, the diet, the upper house of the diet, it's already passed through the lower house. The upper house of the diet is considering gambling countermeasures. And when they pass that, then the bill is finished and it goes into law. It's a basically a, a reflection of the kind of controls that have been put on casino entry and exit by nationals, either in South Korea or in Singapore, which is the big model, the mm -hmm. Singapore resorts there. Uh, it also is the way that you get the women's division of the Sokogakkai, which is the puppet master behind the Kometo, which is the coalition partner of the LDP, how you get them on board. Right. Uh, if you have a revision of the way that Japan has looked at gambling addiction to you know, revive it as, a, to, to, to vitalize it as a, truly as an illness that has to be treated, that there has to be some kind of government intervention. Up till now, it's been largely, mm -hmm. you, 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 bet, you bet your family's money, that's your problem. Right. Now, with, by bringing in the casinos, quite paradoxically, what has previously been a private problem is now become a public one. Right. The thing that's really interesting about the, the integrated resorts to me is that it's, it's a kind of one-shop stop. It, it, it will integrate all sorts of things, theaters, nightlife, bars, restaurants, that sort of thing. And a very small component of it is the casino, but it's, it's kind of the whole thing is painted over as a casino operation, but it's only a, a small part of the, the entire um, investment. However, the opposition likes to point out in terms of pure revenues, that this small ver area, mm -hmm. usually it's, the casino is 3% of the full size of the resort, is the, usually the, the figure that the uh, promoters give. That 3% generates the lion's share of the profits mm -hmm. and revenues for that particular uh, the resort. We won't say casino because that's, that's, that's tilting away from a, an objective point of view. They say the casino is part of it is mm -hmm. the one that generates the money, and that's that's both those statements are true. The other thing that's really interesting about this is since the bill was initiated not through the administration but through uh, one of the the political parties, is that the actions of lobbyists in engendering and and kind of creating this atmosphere so that the bill can sail through has really reached a kind of a, a high pitch level. It's all also. Uh, been reported here in Bunshin, one of our favorite, you know, lightning rods of 
you know, what's going wrong in Japanese society? It, it's a very convenient one because there is, of course, the, the ban on foreign companies giving political donations. And indeed, it, it is foreign resorts and foreign resort companies uh, like Wynn Resorts. They have the technology, right? They have well, the experience well, the, the, and the, the money. They have, they have the willingness to, put, to actually build these things. Uh, there, there really isn't a domestic group that can handle it, though some of the larger pachinko makers might, might, might talk about it, but they don't, they don't really want to cannibalize their own business. Mm -hmm. And the gambling interests, interestingly, the gambling interests here in Japan, the gaming interests, if you want, have been unable to defend their territory in, in favor of this, this new uh, casino law, which, of course, not only will provide them with new competitors for mm -hmm. people who want to bet, but also will bring greater scrutiny on the entire industry for the, the economic damage, so to speak, that it has created, uh, that it engenders on individual families and individual persons. Right. We've got the vote coming up in five days, Michael. What is your guess? You think the bill will go through? You think it'll be, it'll be stalled uh, somewhere in the process? There's not much else that the, the, anyone can do. Uh, it doesn't look like any part of the LDP will defect on this bill. It must be remembered that the first bill uh, managed to split the Cometo. The leadership voted against the legalization of casinos, but let uh, people, who, particularly in the Osaka region, uh, let their members vote for it. Mm -hmm. And to my memory, that's the first time that a party allowed its members to vote separately and that, that did not lead to a party split. The Cometo, of course, is a very special beast, but nevertheless, in most cases, when there is a split vote within the party, that party is no more within a few weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we saw that in, in, in the instances of the breakup of the DPJ, that one part would want to vote one way, another would vote another, and that would lead to a split. Uh, this has been a highly divisive uh, activity, and it, it's, it's, some people might still be against it at, at this late hour, but it, it doesn't seem like there are any of the faction heads, at least, is willing to put his faction out by saying we're against this bill right. because it's, 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 it's just not at the wrong time, the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And it is the wrong time. We have to make that point. The whole, the whole story of this was we have to attract tourists to Japan. Now this was put forward at a time when Japanese tourism, tourism to Japan was half of what it is today. And now we talk indeed about damage that right. tourists do because there are too <laughs> many of them, right. at least in certain places. If you go to Kamakura or more, more prominently Kyoto, it's absolutely wall to wall with people now. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no need for this anymore. It's right. just got the momentum behind yep. it. It's a legacy issue. And it's going to pass because of that momentum. Okay, I agree with you. I think in, it's going to go through the LDP, the Cometo Coalition partner, also has the sway in the upper house. So if push comes to shove, the vote will go their way. And, uh, there's no doubt about that in my mind. And the other interesting thing is that even if it's here to attract tourists, it's not going to come online for maybe four or five years after the uh, 2020 Olympics. Uh, or and after Abe Shinzo, unless he changes the bylaws of the LDP again, right. is no longer on the scene. Mm -hmm. So is this a pork barrel project? Is this something that would be considered 
from a political standpoint, something that's going to really kind of get the juices going so that we want this thing to go through. Oh, no, really? <laughs> you think that there won't be construction companies that will be able to pass on donations to their... Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, this, is, this is clearly a money machine for certain politicians, whoever's whosever's district it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Actually operating it, however, is another kettle of fish entirely. Three sites will be selected. What's this process like? Do you have any insight on it? I wouldn't want to look into it because it's simply going to be grotesque. Uh -huh. uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a great deal of mendacious activity, mm -hmm. a lot of push and pull within the LDP about who gets what. And as for accessibility from uh, an, a, an international airport, in terms of connectivity with other uh, activities of a, of a municipal area, right. all that will be disregarded in terms of, it will be just a political uh, gift to somebody right. who, who is owed one. But what we know right now is two municipalities will get it, two large municipal cities, maybe Osaka, maybe Tokyo, maybe Fukuoka, and one regional area, which is, what does that mean? I that mean, means is that, that, uh, that Okinawa. Well, uh, it, could, it probably means Okinawa, but the Okinawans and the Okinawans will be gladly have it. Anything that can loosen their dependence upon the on the Hondo, uh, anywhere else in Japan, it's it's a wash. It, there is a very hard movement within a lot of prefectural governments to try to get a a, a piece of what's really been giving Tokyo, Yokohama, mm -hmm. and uh, Kyoto a lot of money. This, this boom in tourism, it, that it hasn't been necessarily spread out. There's a, a big push in a lot of the prefectures. However, with all these prefectures, there will be, you know, with, with 40 prefectures all competing for it, uh, yeah. wh whoever gets it uh, will not be decided on a rational business market-oriented basis. Why not? Why, why is it is, it's so much up in the air? I think it's simply that the, uh, the real desire uh, for a resort uh, comes from outside and at that point it's not part of any plan for any person makes sense and, yeah. And, yeah I mean it could be you know you put it in Hosoda's district I, I don't know uh, that uh, the the entire thrust of Japanese politics at least according to Nakano uh, the, the professor at Joji University, is the privatization of everything right mm -hmm. now. And, and certainly that's been true in the past. We had Tanaka Kakoe build, make sure that Niigata got the first Shinkansen line outside of the Tokaido, even though there's no point in doing that. That, that was not a very profitable route and still isn't. Uh, nevertheless, you know, who's going to get what resorts? Uh, yes, the urban areas will be there to get foreign investors to come in, and they will basically see a loss on the, the regional center. If they're, going to, if they're not pushing for a profitable center, right. then uh, it's really up for grabs. Right. The dynamics, though, can you imagine the dynamics of having an integrated resort? I mean, it's going to take time for it to, to kind of be uh, integrated into the communities, but the impact that that's going to have, not just on the... the the specific area that it's located, but in the, the area around it too, with that much investment coming in and the influx of foreigners and the, and the amount of money that's going in, that's going to be a great economic engine. Well, it's certainly going to help real estate speculators. Mm -hmm. Whoever, wherever it's put, 
uh, we're going to see a huge rise in, in, in land prices in the area immediately around it. We saw the same thing when they talked about shifting the capital out of Tokyo. Sure. And it's all Cuba. these small regional centers, their, their re real estate values went up. Or Universal Studios to Osaka. And all or of these Disneyland. Yeah, right. all of these things happen. Right. But the actual, I, uh, but aside from real estate developers, I don't see anyone mm -hmm. making any money. The integrated resorts bill is in the upper house of the diet now. It will be voted on before Saturday, and our vote is that it will go through. Please continue to stay tuned. Join us now, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Inside Baseball. Inside Baseball is our episode where we do a deep dive on issues of great importance to us, and who else better to have as my guest on Japan-U.S. relations than Glenn Fukushima? Glenn, welcome back. Thanks very much. Great to be here. You just flew in from D.C., what, two days ago? That's right. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're a busy guy. Well, yeah, lots happening. There is a lot happening. There's right. a lot happening with our president sure. and with the alliance between the United States and Japan, mm -hmm. the appointment of ambassadors. That's still kind of trudgingly going forward, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. how, is, how is this thing uh, figuring out in, in Washington, D.C.? What's your view of that? Well, you know, things are very uncertain. Uh, Trump was in Brussels and London and uh, then in Helsinki. Mm -hmm. And every place he goes, making a lot of news, uh, called, calling the Europeans uh, our foe in trade. And I uh, had a very warm, fuzzy uh, press conference with uh, Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of concern about what is happening with the uh, traditional alliances that the U.S. had with Europe and what's going to happen with Russia and also the 12 indictments of the Russians allegedly uh, interfering with the election, camp uh, election 2016. In the meantime, the North Korea situation continues to devolve and there's a trade conflict with China. And uh, so actually Japan is not very much uh, front and center right now with regard to Washington, D.C. because there's so much else happening. Sometimes that's good, though, isn't it? I yeah, mean, I think so. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, the, the president had a, a pretty good trip the last time he was in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. He was here for about two days, two and a half yeah, days. In November. Yeah, right? that went well. And then since then, they've had several meetings, uh, Mar-a-Lago, uh, Washington. And also, uh, you know, they've talked more than 20 times on the telephone, mainly about North Korea. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, Although some of the trade issues are brewing and the Section 233 investigation with regard to automobiles is something that Japan is very concerned about, much more so than the issue about uh, tariffs on steel and aluminum. Um, but, you know, all things uh, considered, compared to all the other uh, problems that the U.S. is uh, uh, experiencing with uh, Europe generally, especially with England and Germany, uh, and also with China, uh, and increasingly with North Korea, I think uh, Japan is uh, you know, relatively in a good, good place. And I guess you know, the Prime Minister probably wants to keep things pretty calm, at least until September, when he's up for his uh, re-election uh, to be the president of the LDP, right, the third, third year, third, right. third year, three-year term, so that he can stay on for another three years as, uh, as uh, Prime Minister. Mm -hmm. So I think his hope is that you know, things will stay calm, at least until then. How did things go uh, from your view in Singapore with um, Kim and the president? <laughs> well, it all depends on, on who you talk to. Right. You know, there are a wide range of opinions. Uh, those who, um, uh, the president and the people around him, the Secretary of State Pompeo and others, uh, have sure. claimed Waving the flag, great, we great victory, rah -rah. that all sorts of wonderful sure. things happened. Uh, the skeptics are very skeptical. And, uh, but the only thing, I think, you know, people are certainly in agreement that it's better 
that they met than to have war on the peninsula. Right. So uh, that everyone has agreed with. And, and things have calmed down a, a little bit, yeah, haven't I they? I think so, yeah. So for the time being, things have calmed down. But the gap between what the, uh, uh, the president has been saying uh, on the one hand and what seems to be happening on the ground in North Korea, uh, the gap seems to be increasing. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's real concern uh, whether or not the situation may again escalate uh, so that the military option is uh, under consideration. It hasn't gotten to that point yet, but I think that there, there is concern that that may come about, especially since people like John Bolton have been extremely skeptical from the very beginning right. about any commitments that the uh, North Koreans make. As you would expect, sure. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, he's had experience, yep. you know. That's right. He's been there before. Yep. He right. have a lot of other people. Right. One of the other uh, positive things that have come out is apparently the great leader was educating his, uh, his staff about how the storyline of the abductees, the mm. people who have been abducted from Japan and, and kidnapped into Japan, how that should be addressed. And it seems like he's taking more of a, a, a softer or more of a realistic uh, approach on that mm. to, to talk more openly about what happened, how many people were involved, mm -hmm. how they were handled, that sort of thing. Mm. Well, certainly, you know, Prime Minister Abe, uh, when he met with uh, President Trump, uh, made the point that in addition to the issues about the uh, missile and missiles and nuclear weapons, that as far as Japan's concerned, the abductee issue is very high. Very high. Uh, and so um, I think Abe was pleased that the president committed to raising the issue. And apparently, apparently yep. he did raise the issue. Uh, not clear what the response was from uh, Mr. Kim. Uh, and I think uh, right now, uh, I think Abe and his people are pretty much of the view that it's, you know, it's up to Japan to resolve that issue with North Korea directly. So I, I, my understanding is that uh, there's an attempt underway to arrange for some meeting between, uh, between either Abe and, and Kim or their deputies right. in order to try to move forward on this issue of abductees. So we'll see. That may, you know, that, that could happen. And especially if it happens between now and September, that would and, be a wonderful and, thing. And yeah. if there's some positive outcome, then that will certainly help Abe in his reelection well, bid. I, I think even if there was just a meeting, hmm. just the announcement of a meeting, that would be boost enough. Hmm. I mean, uh, having a meeting hmm. and having the results of that meeting, you know, come forward. It's like uh, discussing with the Russians about the northern territories. You know, <laughs> you can talk until the the cows come home, but you hmm. know, getting results after that is is really a, a different issue. Yeah. The abductee issue seems to be high on the uh, prime minister's list because that's kind of one of the issues that wrote him into power. That's right. Yeah, yeah. certainly. He's, uh, I mean, he has a strong support base among uh, the abductee families, and, uh, and it is an issue that um, he's, uh, I mean, even you know, back in uh, 2012, when he came back in as prime minister after a six-year gap, mm -hmm. um, I think that was one of the issues that he was pressing on. So. Yeah, for him it is a very interesting, important uh, issue domestically, and um, and it is a uh, an issue that many people have speculated uh, if he makes even a little bit of progress on that will yeah. help him a lot politically in Japan. Sure, I mean even just a return to status quo, status quo meaning uh, before they were experimenting with uh, nuclear devices, even a return to that would be uh, a, a significant step in in progress. Just keeping things calm. Yeah, I mean, certainly the... Can, 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 you, can you roll it back, though? Well, I, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the missiles and the nuclear development have uh, proceeded pretty substantially over the last several years, so uh, unless uh, the North Koreans are serious about getting rid of those 
uh, weapons. Uh, and, you know, actually the Japanese have, uh, in addition, I think uh, Foreign Minister Kona in particular have made a point about, has made a point about not only the nuclear weapons, not only the missiles, not only the abductee issue, but also chemical and biological <laughs> weapons as well need to go. And so, um, you know, there's a lot there that, um, that the Japanese are hoping for. Sure. And um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much progress there is between now and especially September. Right. Well, there's got to be a tit for a tat, though. I mean, for the North Koreans to give all of that up, what are they getting in return? Maybe they're getting uh, some stability or maybe less scrutiny from the United States and some of the, the allies, but it doesn't seem to be a fair deal to me. There seems to be much more that would have to be involved in that trade, investment, you know, bringing the, the economy of the, the North Korean up higher than mm -hmm. it is right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. So that gives them a, a, a viable option instead of threatening their neighbor with uh, biological or nuclear weapons mm -hmm. to actually take it on the economy. Yeah, so I think from the U.S. point of view, there are a lot of things that the U.S. could offer, uh, whether it's economic issues or lifting sanctions or not doing military exercises or even the issue of uh, U.S. forces on the, on the peninsula. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of cards and a lot of uh, right. issues that, that Trump has. I think from the Japanese point of view, the main issue the Japanese have is economic aid. And so um, I think in the mind of the North Koreans, and probably in the minds of, in the, of the Japanese leadership as well, uh, this issue of abductees is, I think, most strongly linked to the notion of, uh, you know, if they fess up and if they, mm -hmm. you know, return whoever is still alive among the abductees, that that will provide the basis for Japan offering something on the economic side. Right. I don't think there's too much more that Japan could offer. Right. Whereas the U.S. has has a whole range of issues. Yeah. That uh, they could offer, including you know, guarantee that the U.S. is not going to try to institute regime change in North Korea, um, and and there's a whole of, a bunch of things. So, but then this whole issue now with um, the U.S.-China trade right. conflict, how that's going to affect China's willingness to cooperate with the United States regarding North Korea, is um, up for some speculation because the, you know th there are some in China also saying, well, look, you know, if you're going to be uh, uh, imposing all these tariffs on us. I don't know, what's the incentive for us to help you on North Korea? Right. So, you know, things are linked. Right. Well, that makes sense to me. I mean, for example, for the North Koreans, the most important negotiating partner for them is South Korea, and probably secondary to that is, is China. The Japanese don't even come in maybe fourth or fifth or sixth place, while the United States comes in probably at, I don't know, first or second? Yeah, I, mean, I think from North Korea's point of view, it's the U.S. first. Um, probably China second, <laughs> South mm -hmm. Korea next, and after that, I don't know whether it's J Japan or Russia or, or whoever, but but Japan certainly is not one of the the high you know the the uh, the, uh, the highest priority right. countries. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, in the United States, I just left a couple of days ago from Washington, but uh, by far the biggest issue <laughs> in 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 the United States, uh, certainly in Washington, is the um, nomination for the Supreme Court. Uh, the uh, the seat that An Anthony uh, Kennedy is um, is stepping down, and so uh, um, Kavanaugh, who's the nominee, uh, he's undergoing tremendous scrutiny. And uh, I, I'll tell you that I would say 80% of the political commentary in Washington, in addition to the the, the Trump performance in Europe and and uh, in Helsinki, uh, revolves around the Supreme Court nominee. Yeah, because that, that has implications also for the midterm elections coming up in November. So um, it's, it's, it's really sucking up a lot of air. 
It sounds like it. I mean, that has nothing to do with the U.S.-Japan relationship or what's going on with China. Not directly. It's actually basically a, a purely domestic issue, but right. it's a huge one, isn't it? Yes. No, it's huge because, as you know, when Anthony Scalia died suddenly in February of 2016, uh, then-President Obama nominated Merrick Garland uh, for that position, and then uh, Mitch McConnell and the uh, Republicans sat on it for 10 <laughs> months, didn't even have a hearing, uh, saying that there was going to be an election. And therefore, we should let the people, you know, have their voice before uh, the uh, a nominee is uh, decided on. Um, so by the same logic, I think the Democrats are now saying that there's an election coming up. Why don't, why don't, we, why don't we wait until after the election to uh, have hearings for the, for the confirmation? Mm -hmm. But uh, the president and uh, Mitch McConnell want to get this done as quickly as possible. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's going to be a real kind of uh, struggle uh, within the Senate to between the Democrats and the Republicans. But you know, since the Republicans have the majority, I assume they're going to be able to go ahead with this unless something happens, you know, unless, unless something happens with regard to Kavanaugh's background, uh, which would uh, lead uh, one or two or more Republican senators to oppose him, then that could raise some serious problems for, the, for, the, for, the Trump, for Trump and the Republicans. But barring that, um, it looks like most likely that Kavanaugh will be confirmed. Um, so, I mean, the, the court, I mean, it's interesting, you know, it, one of the interesting things about being in Washington is that despite the fact that the, the Trump administration is um, not very eager about filling senior positions in the administration, and there are a lot of positions that are still empty, right? Um, no one in those positions yet. When it comes to the courts, the, uh, the Trump administration is very aggressive and, and, and really uh, very quickly uh, filling positions, mm -hmm. in the, especially in the federal uh, courts. And so I think it's a kind of interesting contrast there. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so interesting from the perspective of a, of a um, you know, somebody that's involved in trade and, and international relations like you are, mm -hmm. how a lot of the, the things that have been set up for years, NAFTA, mm -hmm. you know, um, WTO, WTO, all mm -hmm. of these organizations mm -hmm. have been put pretty much on hold or mm -hmm. actually pushed into the background. Mm -hmm. And it's almost now like a free-for-all without really um, a driving force dictating what's, what's happening, how things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so everybody's just kind of waiting for mm -hmm. what's, what's the next shoe to fall. And the relationship between China and the United States on, on the trade issue mm -hmm. is absolutely huge. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's sure. almost frightening. Yeah, so I'm, I'm in the process of writing an article. The first sentence is uh, probably the most uh, accurate descriptor for Donald Trump is uh, disruptor. Uh -huh. <laughs> because, uh, and especially on trade, uh, you know, he has said the EU is our foe on trade. Uh, he withdrew the U.S. from TPP. He renegotiated uh, the, the chorus, the Korea, South Korea, South Korea, U.S. Uh, free trade agreement. Uh, now undergoing, uh, now renegotiating NAFTA, uh, casting doubts on the WTO. So, and then imposing tariffs on uh, steel and aluminum and yep. uh, the 232 investigations. So all these are um, pretty disruptive, <laughs> and and it's hard to know uh, what the final outcome is going to be. In part because I think within the administration, there are people with different views, you know. I mean, you have, on the one hand, people like Mnuchin, Secretary of Treasury, and uh, Kudlow, the head of the National Economic Council, on the one hand, who are by and large free traders. And then you've got Peter Navarro and Bob Lighthizer, who are, tend to be more protectionist. And then there's Wilbur Ross at Commerce. So even among the senior people in the administration, there seems to be a difference of views. And actually, the Chinese have complained openly, saying, uh, what is it that you guys are asking for? <laughs> because sometimes there are some mixed signals being sent. 
And, and even Trump himself, although he may be clear on what he says he wants, which is a huge reduction in the imbalance, bilateral imbalance between China and the United States, uh, it's not clear exactly, you know, at what point uh, he's going to be satisfied. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there are a lot of uncertainties, and uh, I think, you know, people uh, really are concerned that this doesn't get out of hand. Right. Because if there's a tit-for-tat, uh, you know, retaliation going on, uh, it really could escalate. Right. I think that the president would probably be somewhat uh, proud of the description of him being, you know, disruptor oh, yeah. in chief. I think so. I think he'd be proud of that. Yeah. Because yeah, he, he wants to do things that others haven't done. He, he wants, wants to, to mix it up. Yep. And he, uh, I think he takes great pride in the fact that, I mean, one of the reasons I think he went to Singapore, met with Kim, was because I think for both Kim and Trump, they both think it's important for their own Historical. domestic political right. purposes. Right. And uh, so for him to have done something that no other president has done is something that, you know, he thinks is a great achievement. Um, aside from whatever the substance of the meeting may have been. So, um, yeah, so I think, you know, he, I think he would take pride in, in mm -hmm. being called a disruptor. Before we wrap this session up, Glenn, how about the, the automobile issue with the Japanese and the, the Americans? Mm -hmm. How is that, that sitting right now? Well, I think it's a real source of concern for Japan because um, so much of the uh, exports from Japan to the United States are automobiles, although the Japanese have invested a lot in the United States and also in Mexico so that there's... Um, you know, compared to 20 years or 30 years ago, there's less, the percentage of uh, domestic produce, uh, uh, Japanese automobiles produced in the United States has gone up quite a bit. Even then, some of the high-end, right. actually luxury models, many of them are being, you know, ex exported from Japan. So if there is, in fact, a uh, finding under 232 that the U.S. auto industry is being threatened for national security reasons and therefore they need to impose tariffs of up to 25%, uh, that could seriously impact the Japanese auto industry as well as the Japanese economy. So I think there is serious concern about that. And I hear a lot being in Washington and also being in Tokyo uh, that, um, I mean, the Japanese certainly don't want this to happen from their point of view. But also, I think there's a valid concern even in the U.S. auto industry and uh, and U.S. Uh, certainly the importers and, and consumer groups that this uh, imposition of tariffs, unilateral tariffs, could significantly have a negative effect on the, on the U.S. economy more generally. Why so, is that? Well, I think that the, the, there would be less competition, there would be higher prices of, uh, of automobiles as a result, uh, and uh, it will certainly uh, affect, um, you know, a whole group of uh, importers in the United States who are pretty powerful. Um, and, you know, General Motors, I think, uh, has come out with a report saying that uh, any unilateral imposition of tariffs could be detrimental to the U.S. auto industry as well as to the Japanese auto industry. So this auto issue is, um, is a very serious concern. It's always been a serious concern. And initially when it was first raised with, with this president, I thought it was under the issue of reciprocity, that mm -hmm. Americans couldn't sell their cars. You've heard this before, many, many years mm -hmm. ago. It mm -hmm. keeps coming up right. that the Americans can't sell their cars in, in Japan to yep. the degree that the, American, the Japanese can sell their cars mm -hmm. in, in the United States. But right. I don't think that's true anymore. Well, in 1987, Donald Trump uh, gave an interview in which he said something like, um, do you see any Chevys, any Chevrolets in, in Tokyo? You know, they don't buy our autos, you know, and, and they just keep selling their autos in the U.S. So at that time, and up till recently, I think Trump, as well as the U.S. auto industry, wanted to open up the Japanese market and have Japan buy more American cars. However, over the last, I'd say, 10 years, because the Japanese market is shrinking in terms mm -hmm. of population, and also because China and other markets are growing, I think the U.S. auto industry, by and large, if they had a choice between opening up the market in Japan for their oh, products go, definitely versus, go versus uh, limiting 
the access to the U.S. for Japanese automakers, they would probably choose the latter. Sure. And so I think now yeah. the interest is not so much in opening the Japanese market, it's more in restricting the Japanese exports, and therefore yep. the Section 233 Understood. Uh, from the U.S. point of view makes sense. Great. Because it's limiting their export, that's not helping to increase the U.S. exports to Japan. Well, how about the midterm elections in November? What, what kind of prospects do we have looking at us there? Sure. Well, it's four months off, so it's hard to predict, but um, I think most people think that if things continue the way they are now, that the House is likely to go uh, Democratic majority. The Senate, probably not. I think the Senate, because there are 26 seats that the Democrats have to protect, and of those 26 seats, 10 are in states that Trump won in the last election. Right. Um, and so it's going to be difficult, I think, for the Democrats to be able to hold on to those seats, plus add two seats necessary to get the majority. On the House side, though, it looks like it's, it's possible. And the outcome of this midterm election is very important, I think, from the standpoint of the uh, remaining two years of this term of the Trump administration, because if the House and, and the Senate both stay Republican majority, then I think that gives Trump a much freer hand to do what right. he wants to do. Whereas if the House or maybe... He's holding he back? <laughs> well, <laughs> if the House and the Senate, for instance, uh, although not likely, if it happens that they both go Democratic majority, then they could be a severe check on what Trump wants to do in the, sure. in the two years. So that, that is going to have a huge impact. And if, if the Senate uh, uh, flips, which is not likely but not impossible, then that will significantly impact uh, appointments and nominations and confirmations as well. So I think in terms of policy, legislation, and in terms of confirmations, uh, whether the Senate goes Democratic is majority is important. And also, from the standpoint of things like impeachment and um, legislation, certainly how the House goes is very important. So it is a very important election in that regard. Four months away, an interesting dynamic because a lot can happen in four months. Exactly. And, and yep. th I mean, this thing switches back and sure. forth. So with domestic policy, you know, the economy, unemployment uh, rate is still like 4%. It's is doing quite well. The stock market is still doing reasonably well. Mm -hmm. um, I think people feel the economy is, is okay, but you know you never know what may happen there. And then there's you know foreign policy issues, mm -hmm. whether it's North Korea or Syria, Russia, um, you know terrorism. There are all sorts of things that could happen between now and November. Yeah. Thank you very much, Glenn. Sure. The United States and Japan, two trading partners that are intricately entwined and vitally important to each other. Please stay tuned. We're going to continue to watch this.